1: It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. And just a quick reminder that we're on break for the next couple of weeks and Rico Daily will be back with new episodes in the new year. In the meantime, here's one of our favorites from this year. Thanks. Before the internet, it would have been solid financial advice to buy gold. A few years ago, your friends probably told you to invest in Bitcoin. Well, It's now 2021, and what if I told you to put your money into a bottle of whiskey? A pair of Nikes? How about an old Marvel comic book? It may sound strange, but more and more people are investing in rare memorabilia. And no, I'm not just talking about starting a collection. I mean actually buying shares of a single item and owning a portion of it. It's called fractionalization. And Dion Rabohan recently wrote about it for Vox's The Goods. He's here to help us understand how it works. Hey, Dion. Adam, how you doing? So to kick things off, let's define fractionalization.
0: Sure. fractionalization just means breaking things up into fractions. So you've got one item, whether it be uh, you know a, an NFT, a non-fungible token, or Bitcoin is a good example, or something like a painting. It could really be anything. And you break it up into fractions or shares, and then you sell those fractions or shares as pieces of the whole rather than selling the whole.
1: So on a very basic level, it's not unlike how we break up
0: companies into shares of a company, right? Similarly, yeah. In essence, you know, people back in the day would own an entire company. And then when you went public, you would sell shares of that company to the public who, you know, didn't have maybe a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars to own the entire company, but instead, you know, had a hundred dollars and they could buy a share of it. So yeah, it's very similar to that same process. But the more
1: modern concept that you're talking about, that's not exactly new. We've been doing this for a few
0: years, right? Yeah, it's been around for a long time. Financial institutions have been breaking up companies or breaking up stock into fractions for quite some time. It was kind of the founding ethos of the brokerage firm Robinhood, uh, this idea that a lot of people wanted to own companies like Amazon or uh, Netflix or, you know, something like uh, Google's Alphabet. And the share price for those companies was in the thousands of dollars. And And so if you're just starting out as an investor, you maybe don't have $10,000 that's going to get you two or three shares of these companies, but you have a hundred dollars or maybe $500. And so Robinhood and a few of these other brokerages found ways to just break up the shares. So rather than even owning one share of the company, you were owning one tenth or one twentieth
1: of a share. And now we're seeing a bunch of services kind of like Robinhood, but that apply this concept of fractionalization to all kinds of valuable items like baseball cars, cars, video games. How exactly does
0: that work? So it's essentially the same idea. Uh, These companies or brokerage firms will actually purchase the whole item or, you know, it'll stay actually in the hands of the original owner and they'll sell off shares of it. So Playboy, actually, the company that's well known as, you know, the magazine under your father's bed, they came up with this idea of selling pieces of their library or pieces of memorabilia that they own as fractionalization.
1: We have a catalog that has over 10 million pieces in it. It's from some of the most phenomenal photography over the last 70 years to interviews with Steve Jobs, MLK, Malcolm X, Jimmy Carter, to unbelievable editorial. And on top of that, we have a 5,000-piece art collection, Warhol, Warry Neiman, Salvador Dali's, Matisse's.
0: The painting or you know, the piece of artwork stays with Playboy, it stays in the library, but they sell shares of ownership in it. So as the thing rises in price, the share of it that you own, whether that be one one hundredth, one one thousandth, one one hundredth of a thousandth, goes up in value. So it's this weird thing where investors aren't actually purchasing the right to use or enjoy the good itself. They're basically investing in the futures market of these items
1: i wonder how successful has playboy been at this because as a magazine they've had kind of a rough couple
0: decades (laughs) yeah yeah that's one way to put it um they actually were very successful in terms of the stock price uh the company went public and were valued at a little under i think a billion dollars and as they started releasing these nfts of things like a matisse painting that had a cigarette burn from john lennon or, you know, the Marilyn Monroe centerfold. Playboy actually did grow pretty successful. Their stock price, I think, went up about sixfold. Uh, the value of the company increased to over $3 billion. So
1: NFT, that's a term we're hearing a lot lately. Are these assets that people are
0: fractionalizing NFTs? Yes and no, right? It's uh, it's a bit of a convoluted question because the term NFT means non-fungible token, which just means a thing that can't be recreated or duplicated. So an NFT could technically be something like baseball cards or portions or or fractions of cars or pieces of art. Uh, You've got a company like Otis that sells fractionalized sneakers or trading cards, things like that. Those are all technically NFTs because they are non-fungible. They are tokens. But I think those people would tell you, no, we're not selling NFTs. Or they'd say, yes, we are selling NFTs, depending on where they stand on how much they want to be associated with this whole NFT kind of craze and mania that's happening right now.
1: Right. So typically, if you hear someone talk about an NFT, it's probably a a digital asset, like a digital trading card and not... The physical one exactly
0: exactly but nfts can be digital versions of physical things so ja rule the rapper for example uh sold an nft version of a painting that was hanging up in his office he could have kept the painting sold the digital rights to it to somebody and now you own the nft and ja rule owns the physical artwork Um, nfts also are often individual pieces so rather than buying a portion of a Michael Jordan trading card that was made by Topps or Upper Deck or something in real life, there's a physical copy. Often NFTs are an entire digital trading card and you own the entire version of that. And in your article for
1: the goods, you explained that all of this is made possible using blockchain technology. Can you
0: explain how that works? So blockchain technology is the force behind most of these things. And what happens is when you, When you put something on the blockchain as they say you're creating a record of exactly what the item is exactly who owns it and nothing can ever come in and tinker with that it can't be erased it can't be undone all you can do is add to it and by creating that there's never a dispute as to who owns an asset or as to what the asset is you know exactly who owns it, where it exists, kind of how it exists. And that allows you to create ownership without worry about fraud or about you know disputes. You know, Companies can't go out and make 10,000 different shares and then copy those 10,000 shares and sell them to another group of investors. It creates scarcity or it creates a finite supply of something. And with that, people are able to buy in knowing that even though they only own the digital rights to something, they're not gonna get ripped off.
1: What are some of the weirdest items you've seen
0: people putting money into? I actually began my story with this comedian Brett Raybould. Uh, he's a 29-year-old guy. He's telling jokes out in New York City, and he came up with this idea for Coin, which is essentially people buy into his success. Uh, the way he says it is he's you know letting people invest in him. And as his career goes, he figures more people will buy Brettcoin. As more people buy, the value goes up, the price goes up. Those who bought initially are able to reap some of the rewards from that. But, you know, as I've been talking, talking, Talking to other investors and folks who have done this fractionalization, there are all kinds of ideas out there from uh, Japanese racehorses to investing in water and and water resources um, to artwork. And again, you you don't actually own any of these things. You just own a piece of them that you can sell to someone else as the price rises or as it declines and you need to uh, liquidate and get some of that money back.
1: So also in your article, you explained that we're starting to get all these new options for investments, in part because people are losing trust in banks and financial institutions. I feel like I know the answer to to why that is, but can you tell us a little bit about that and why these new alternatives are more attractive?
0: Yeah, I I suspect your inkling is correct. As the internet has grown, and as we've kind of moved into this information age, there's also been a lot of disinformation, and there's been a lot of loss in trust of those big old, institutions, banks being one of them. But like what I think you're alluding to and what I think a lot of folks would say is banks have not been good actors. Uh, that really came to light during the great financial crisis in 2008 and the way the banks were kind of bailed out after that and the way they behaved after that. whether it was layoffs or taking bailouts when they didn't need them, you know, the way that they've continued to foreclose on people of color, particularly in the Black community, you know, the list goes on and on, right? And people just really aren't happy with banks. And they've been moving away as more fintech options have come about. And it's also a way for people who really don't believe in or have become jaded on the idea of banks and the banking sector to still invest their money and to still earn return on the money they have, rather than, you know, if you didn't trust the banks or you didn't trust the financial system back in the day, you kind of just had to bury it under your mattress. Now you've got a lot of different options uh, enabled by cryptocurrency, the blockchain, NFTs, things like that, where you can step outside of traditional banking institutions and still earn pretty good return on your money.
1: So in covering the future of money, at Recode, we've talked a lot about how this is regulated or in many cases, not at all regulated. And this also kind of sounds like it's a a Wild West scenario. How have these markets and exchanges avoided regulation in the SEC
0: so far? So there's a central question right now being debated and really it's just being debated within the SEC because there's not you know, the SEC is the regulator tasked with handling it. And the question is, what is a security? So Bitcoin and NFTs and lots of other of these fractionalized assets, the people would argue this is not a security. Um, A security is sort of widely and broadly defined by the SEC and the SEC has not explicitly said, these things are securities. So until they do say these things are securities, they are not required to regulate them. And none of the markets operating have to necessarily go by the SEC's rules and regulations. Some have chosen to and have voluntarily tried to you know, provide disclosures and things like that for investors, but they don't necessarily have to because there isn't certainty right now about whether these things qualify as securities because the SEC hasn't explicitly said so.
1: SEC head Gary Gensler, who... Taught a class on cryptocurrency at MIT. He has been indicating that he thinks the SEC should step in at some point in the
0: future. Do you have any idea of what a crackdown might look like? I mean, a crackdown could be anything as simple as issuing a one sentence guideline saying, We believe cryptocurrency functions like securities. You know, just the threat of possible regulation would urge a bunch of people to get in line. That's really the thing here is the SEC doesn't necessarily have to do a lot. They only need to hint that they could do something or that they would do something. And there would be a lot of self-regulation among a lot of these providers because they don't want to break the law because Breaking the law or getting on the wrong side of the SEC could mean you get shut down, could mean your brokerage and your entire firm get banned from doing any sort of business. So no one wants to get on the wrong side of the SEC, and it wouldn't take all that much for the SEC to step in and say, okay, we're we're going to do something about this. But that also could have a potentially chilling effect. A lot of people could move underground or could move outside of the system or could just shut down because they don't want to deal with these regulations. But once we get guidance from the SEC, there will be a lot of movement because people are very, very afraid of being on the wrong side of that commission.
1: And when that... Happens? What do you think the landscape for NFTs, cryptocurrency and fractional investments
0: will look like? That's the thing. It's going to depend on what the decision is. Uh, If they come out and they say all of these things are securities and we will be treating them as securities and we're actually going to be much more harsh in terms of our regulation of these and impose all these guidelines and restrictions, I think you'll see a lot of these things just disappear. On the other hand, if they say, yeah, we're not sure these are, securities or we don't think they are, I think you'll see a lot more propping up and you'll see them coming up a lot more in ways that are investable and accessible to your everyday mom and pop trader. So that could be seeing a lot more things like NFTs and, you know, crazy investments uh, like our publicly traded comedian, Brett Rabel. There was uh, an NBA player, Spencer Dinwiddie, who wanted to fractionalize his contract and sell it as uh, an investment on the blockchain. The NBA came down and told him he couldn't do that. Well, if the SEC steps out and says, yeah, we're not gonna regulate this or we're going to have a very light touch, you could see a lot more NBA players, maybe it's average Joes at their job, fractionalizing their contract and putting it out there. There just is kind of an endless list of possibilities of different things that could be available to be fractionalized and invested in by the everyday public that would become a lot more popular and a lot more available.
1: Thanks for joining us, Dion. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to Rico Daily. My name is Adam Clark Estes. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinosa and engineered by Paul Robert Mouncy. Do you own a share in a pair of shoes? Let us know about it. Email us at RecodeDaily at Recode.net.